Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Deacon John here in Denver, Colorado with my good friend Watson. Watson. Joe Doman. Who, uh, good heavens! In podcast time, we are still pre-play, uh, which is in three days, two days. Uh, and uh, Joe will be a very happy man when it's over. Yes. And, uh, because it is a lot of work. How many lines do you have to memorize? Uh, that's good. I have no idea. I mean, like 25-ish. 25 lines? Mm, so I don't know. I, what? I don't know. Aren't I, you a main role? I was thinking like 200 I'm lines. in a lot of the play. I, a lot of it, Holmes is doing the talking, and I'm just kind of hanging out in the background. Oh, uh, yeah. That's but, true. Uh, but I'll be happy when it's over because I get to shave this grizzly beard. It does look pretty grizzly. Now, um, we are... Grizzly Adams had a beard. Grizzly Adams had a beard. You know, comments like that, Adam Sandler movies from the 90s, as great as they are, we're losing touch. We're man. a dying breed, Kids man. have never seen Happy Gilmore. I'm like, that is like, the, you know, one of the best. Huh? Hockey movie, golf movie, come on. But uh, they have no idea. They've never watched Seinfeld, so... Actually, I just realized that Happy Gilmore, you are kind of Happy Gilmore. I mean, you're a hockey guy, you play golf, but you kind of swing it like you're taking a slap shot. My brother and I memorized the whole movie from start to finish, and on road trips with family, we used to just recite the whole, I mean, the whole entire movie. I'm not joking. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, we got Stephen and Joe with us again. my name is Happy Gilmore. Stephen and Joe. Ever since he just I was a kid, I loved hockey. Playing hockey. Okay. Swig of coffee. Here we go. Vatican City, Joe. What do you know about it? Ooh, uh, that's where the Pope lives. So it's its own lives. little country, okay. city-state. Now, it's the size of 100 soccer fields. That's tiny. That's not a lot. Sounds big to me. 100 acres. An acre is roughly about a soccer field. It's got 800 uh You just make that up? No, no. I looked that up online because I thought eight. I could tell them a fact, and I could say 800 acres or 100 acres, but nobody knows what that means. An acre is like a soccer field or 16 okay. tennis courts. Oh, wow. So it's about 1,600 tennis courts. That so. actually helps me a lot Does more. Does that sound smaller? Soccer. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point here, which is it's small. It's an yeah. enclosed um, little state of the city of the Vatican. That's the technical name uh, within the city of Rome. It's very, very small. It's kind of like a little triangle thing. And it's obviously famous for St. Peter's Basilica and the residence of the Holy Father. But how did it get here? What is it? And how does this all work? Very interesting topic. I studied this. Uh, my senior year in high school, I had my conversion right before my senior year, and I was I had to write this huge history paper, which is funny. It was only ten pages, but I, when I was in high school, I was like, "Oh, I have to write ten pages." <laughs> it, it was like a huge deal. But I wrote it on the the uh, unification of Italy and how that affected the Vatican City State. So this is hmm. information essentially off the cuff, about ten years old. So it's probably well dated. But fortunately, it's historical knowledge, so it doesn't really you know it doesn't get affected. By, it doesn't by, expire. It doesn't expire. So it hasn't been updated. This happened in the past. I learned it ten years ago in the past, and we're going to talk about it in the present. Good. So. The Vatican city-state. Well, let's go back. Where, where the heck is the Vatican? Okay, so the Tiber River runs right through the middle of Rome. And Rome is obviously established several several hundred uh, years before the time of Christ. And so you have residents, you have people living in the Tiber. But the Tiber, or west of the Tiber, where the Vatican Hill is, there's these seven hills in Rome. And uh, the Vatican um, uh, Hill is the name of this area west of the Tiber. It's kind of a nice little hill. But nobody really lived up there. It's kind of farm country in the ancient Roman Empire. I like so, how you're you're drawing it with your hands too. It's really helpful for the listener the hand. audience. So that's what the Roman. That's what that's what the Vatican Hill looks like. He's doing court. a little dance over here in the corner. I'm not with dancing. I'm just showing with my hand. It's like you know, the uh, so that's what the the Vatican. So country hill. So Vatican is country hill. Yeah, country. that's what it means. No, I don't know what it means. It's a it's a title. It's a name. Vaticanus is the Latin. So I don't know. 
I mean, it has to mean something. I, I did research for about two minutes before we did this podcast. So More this... than I did. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. It's getting going downhill fast. You know our secrets now. We're two months from it. yesterday, I'm going to be ordained. So we're uh, we're getting close. So we're eight, eight podcasts from... We, I'm counting to my ordination in podcasts. So eight more podcasts. Wow, is that it? So I'll be a priest. Pretty exciting. It's crazy. So the Vatican... Vati- uh, you know, uh, the Vatican Hill is the original area of this. Now, this is where it gets interesting. How did it get into the church's hands? Well, we know that St. Peter was martyred in a circus at the bottom of the Vatican, so west of the Tiber. His body was brought out, and he was buried on the Vatican Hill in a cemetery, Christian cemetery. In the uh, 4th century, Constantine permits Christianity. They build a basilica known as St. Peter's Basilica over the top, and it becomes like a center, a Christian center in the Roman Empire, which is now legal. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Okay, so you got the St. Peter's Basilica, which is in the same spot as it is today, and we could talk about that, the bones of Peter. We might have already done a podcast on that. I think we did. Okay, so I'm going to skip over that then. But this is where it gets tricky. How did we get this little city-state um, now, 2,000 years later? Well, what is what remains of the Vatican City is, the, is a tiny fragment of what belonged to the church for hundreds of years, known as the city of Rome and the Papal States. Now, the Papal States is like a swab of Italy right across the middle, essentially. And it's a pretty substantial uh, amount of land. So what remains today is a small fragment of what was a larger land called the Papal States, and and Rome was a part of that as well, all owned by the Church. The Pope had temporal power in that domain. So how did this happen? Okay, let's go back to Constantine for a second. So Constantine permits Christianity. They build the Basilica over the the place of St. Peter. Supposedly... There's something called the Donation of Constantine, the Donatio Constantini, right, which is this document that supposedly gives a huge chunk of the Roman Empire, including the Papal States, to uh, the Pope to be temporal leader of a large part of Europe. So this was Constantine's land, and he just gave it to the Pope? Supposedly. Okay. But it's a forged document. Historical scandal. It it wasn't real. Really? It wasn't real, and it was proved to be a forge by the Renaissance uh, Italian humanist named Valach, and uh, V-A-L-L-A. So the the donation of Constantine was actually forged. The Dan Brown of the Renaissance. Yeah, the Renaissance. It was never given. Now, the question is, what knowledge did that have? We think that the donation of Constantine was something that was uh, created in the early Middle Ages. So it's not like the first thousand years, they, they're not. They, they, if you would have talked to Pope Leo III in the 800s or 900s, he would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was after that that this thing was – they were trying to justify the temporal power of the papacy, uh, which you cannot justify. Like, we'll just make that very clear. Okay. It is not theologically justifiable that the pope has temporal power. He right. is spiritual power. He's given the keys of the kingdom – are spiritual. They are not temporal. It's not the power of this world, period. Temporal, you just mean like physical, this worldly, not mm-hmm. otherworldly. Having a physical kingdom. Yeah. Like having physical lands and being physically in charge of people. Like being a leader of the church and a leader of a country. Exactly. Yeah. You cannot justify that ever. Yeah. And when we started to justify that, we got in some real serious trouble. Right. So the donation of Constantine was a was a, a forged document uh, in the midi- in the medieval world to try and justify temporal power, um, which is bad. So we don't like that. We don't like the donation of Constantine. We don't like the guys who did that. But there was something that was real called the donation of Pepin, P-E-P-I-N. Pepin. Pepin. Pepin is the father of Charlemagne. Okay, Charlemagne, the famous Holy Roman Empire who unites Europe, essentially, but he moves it north. In the year 800, he's crowned emperor. 
by, I forget which pope. But uh, anyways, it's Christmas Day in the year 800. His father, Pepin, donated, formally donated the papal states and Rome to the Holy Father. So the pope was given temporal power in the, right around the year 754 or so. Uh, He was given that by Pepin, by the Holy Roman Emperor. Hobbit. Uh, Not a hobbit, Pepin, not Pippin. Joe sounds like a you just pay attention okay the uh, and so he was and from that point forward they had the control of the papal states um, and Rome now that so that was right around the 700s all the way up till the 1800s so the popes resided in Rome from the very early days of church but they had temporal power from about the mid 750s uh, until um, the mid 18 1870 we'll just go for that 1860s 1870 and I'm going to talk about what happened there in a second the only time that they were not there was when they went to Avignon. You know, nine popes, nine or seven, hold on, uh, seven popes between the year 309 and uh, 378 went to Avignon, which was just a ridiculous scandal. Um, and that's a whole other podcast. We'll talk about that. But other than that, the popes always resided there and always had power of the, of the papal states and of Rome. Okay, fast forward, 19th century. Uh, you have the rise of nationalism all over Europe, and you have the desire to unify countries, right? Because remember, Europe was is so unique historically and culturally as a civilization because it's never been a mass civilization. Like right. if you think about the Eastern in China and India, you have these – Mongolia, you have these massive civilizations. Empires. Empires, yeah. yeah Arab uh, empires, you know, uh, going back thousands and thousands of years. Europe has never been like that. It's always been this small collection of unique, specific cultures – that were spiritually bound. They were never temporally bound together. Isn't that interesting? It is. It's like we cr- talk about the Holy Roman Empire, but there was, there was always... It was always a spiritual unification hmm. um, that, that bonded them. It was never temporal. And that's why the Holy Roman Empire kind of worked and it kind of didn't. It, it, was, it was kind of false. You were, it was the spiritual bond of Christendom that united Europe, not a temporal power that did it for thousands of years. This is the work of Christopher Dawson, who I love. And if you want to read a great Catholic historian, he's the man. This is his thesis why Europe is so different and why Europe has destroyed itself by going to this nationalism, trying to unite. And now they've gone step one step further, um, essentially becoming the United States of Europe in what we call um, EU. the EU, the European Union. So it's just one more step towards massive civilization uh, and away from their, their true heritage. So that's a whole side project. But in the 19th century in Italy, they got this feeling like if we unite Italy, if we unite all these different states that are all separately controlled – then we'll have more power, and uh, eventually this leads to the fascist government in the 19th century and Mus- or 20th century and Mussolini, World War One, World War Two. But all these guys are all doing this at the same time. They're doing the same thing in Germany, same thing in France, everywhere. So they start to one by one uh, unite Italy. Now uh, they take the papal states in the 1850s and they annex it, so to speak. Basically, say, "Oh, these are ours. These now. are ours now." Yoink! Yep. Yoink! Shwink. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever sound they made, probably <laughs> they took them. That, they, they took them. That was the sound of the future. <laughs> Talking back about what happened. Sounds like a spaceship. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so what is that? So what happened with the Vatican? I guess they didn't take the Vatican, or did they? They did, and they did it in a dramatic fashion. 1871, the first Vatican Council is in session, and they bust through the doors on horseback into St. Peter's, and they annex Rome, and they declare it taken. And literally, they take it by by force. Uh, and at that point, the Pope says, I am a prisoner of the Vatican. He doesn't leave the Vatican. He says, I have been imprisoned uh, from 1871 until 1929. What? Yeah, crazy. No so in the Pope 19- didn't leave? Never left. Whoa. Never left. 
So he was. They declared themselves prisoners of the Vatican. So we're talking uh, Leo the Thirteenth, Pope Saint Pius the Tenth, Pius the Eleventh, Benedict the Fifteenth. I think is the one that gets us into the twenties. That's just off the cuff. I don't know. I'm if that's impressed right. that you know. All that's that. a guess. I don't really know. Um, but I think it was Pius the Ninth actually who over, over overlooked uh, Vatican One or who over, oversaw Vatican One. But anyways, 1929 is when we finally get some resolution to this taking of Rome and taking of the papal states. Now Mussolini, okay is actually the one who facilitates this. Um, and he... Uh, the resolution? The resolution. And he works with the, the Secretary of State in the Vatican to establish what's called the Lateran Treaty, or the Lateran Pact, just to resolve the conflict of uh, the, the church and the tensions and everything like that. Because remember, Italy in the early 20th centuries is almost completely Catholic. Mm. So whatever his motives are, you know, whether it's to win Catholic favor, whatever it is, he has, he finally settles this with this Lateran Treaty by establishing the Vatican City State as a separate entity, as a separate country within Italy. And frankly, if you look at it in God's providence, it's a beautiful thing because the church is better off without temporal power. And however badly it was taken— it's good that it was taken, right? Um, and it's also good that we're not under the control of um, of the Italians. We're not under the control of any any temporal country. The Pope uh, has a small physical place, the size of sixteen hundred tennis courts, as we talked about earlier, where he is able to exercise his spiritual power, his spiritual authority over the whole world, without being tempted by the lure of worldly power. Interesting. Is that interesting? That's really cool. Yeah. So, what's the so what's the deal with the Vatican State now? I mean, is it just they have their own? Do they have their own government? Do they yep. have their own like yep. hospitals and own, stuff? Own government? I don't think there's a hospital in there. Um, the Pope got rushed to Jamelli. You know, it's funny when he got shot in nineteen what was it nineteen eighty one eighty three something like that in the eighties. John Paul II. They uh, this shows how bad Italian hospitals are. They drove past three hospitals in a, in an ambulance to take him to Gemelli, which is like the 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 best one in in Rome. Isn't that funny? <laughs> like this, amp- I mean, the Pope is dying, and they they take him past three hospitals because it's so bad. So oh man, so the Italian that uh, Italian blood in me is just like yeah, uh, you know, you know, whatever. Well, so. there's a hospital right here somewhere. Exactly. So that's a crash course on Vatican City for you, Joe. Um, do you got any uh, emails or anything for us? I do. You want me to help you land this thing? I got nothing else. Bring it down. I got nothing no, else. No, this is good, actually. Um, yeah, I got an email here from uh, Dom. Dom, D-O-M? Dom. Dom. He says, what's up, foos? <laughs> it's Dom. Hey, Dom. I, he says, I live in a cave, no internet or TV at home, so I'm listening to you guys through Andrea's generous upload. This is Dominic Polito uh. uh, on my iPod. <laughs> it's actually her iPod. She says, so I'm a little behind. I just listened to your cast in St. Therese and had a cool story. He wants to share it. Okay, so. Cool. Uh, so prior to the birth of our fourth child, we were praying about a name and who the godparent should be. The soon-to-be godmother, Mandy Kinzer, was praying a novena to St. Therese, comment for her. Uh, and upon beginning the prayer, she stated, Hey, St. Therese, I love the confirmation at the end of your novena, but no offense, I hate roses. Is there any way I could get a different flower? So I guess this is the whole, like, you know, you pray a novena to St. Therese, and she sends you a rose. She said that to St. Therese? Yeah, so she says, hey, I don't like roses, you know. If you could send me another flower, that'd be cool. So on the last day of her novena, we called her and asked her to be the godmother of our fourth child, our second daughter, Lily. Um, And so she laughed and stated, as if not talking to us, she says, my favorite flowers are lilies. So the kingdom of heaven is so generous. So she was like, oh, give me a different cool. flower. And she got a little. And the last year of Vino, 
she's asked to be the godfather or godmother of Lily. That's very cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so she good. says, the kingdom of heaven is so generous. Love your work. Keep it up. Done. You know, I like that. I like the boldness of saying, you know what? You like flo- You like roses? I don't like roses. Give me something else. And she gets a lily. That's beautiful. That is awesome. Now, we should make fun of Andrea uh, while we're on this because oh, yeah. she's we- still sensitive about the marijuana crack six months ago. So I figured, what the heck? Let's reopen that wound. Do you have anything to say? Yeah. So I- Andrea was talking about how her brother is going to move to, uh, she's going to listen to this and freak out, but... Um, she goes, and my brother's moving to Colorado. I'm so excited. And I was like, oh, Dominic. And she goes, no, Peter. And so I was oh, like, man. Peter. Now, she didn't say it like that. But I was like, oh, you like Dominic more than Peter. And she was like, that's not true. That's not true. And I don't actually think it is true if Peter happens no, to No, no. She's listening. told me a lot of times that she likes Dominic more than Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, this is a, a little quick jab. I'm just kidding, Peter. This is a quick jab at our friend who we know her brother's listening to this podcast. And for all of you who are like really confused, we apologize. But we just, you know, we got to throw these in every once in a while because she's very sensitive. She's a sanguine, very sensitive sanguine. We love to and we love to. Time, so. yeah, that's awful. That's a good, uh, good story. Thanks, Dominic. Thanks, Peter, for moving to Colorado. And uh, Joe and Stefan, great to have you here. Thank you, as always. You know, I think that's all we got. It is. Catholic Emails, stuff. insults, comments, whatever. We want to hear them. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook as well. Catholic Stuff Podcast on Facebook. So, See you soon. good stuff. See you soon.